right, well, good evening, not good morning, as we've almost said 17 times tonight. Uh, yeah, I don't look as I normally do today, and I can't explain that. Um, you should really only want to see me dressed this way um, if it's your wedding. Um, otherwise, you won't see me because it's your funeral. So uh, <laughs> that's just how it works. Um, however, I did make a wager with an individual in our church, and I wasn't sure which service him and his family were going to be here this evening, and so here I am in a full suit regardless. The wager was, I will join the AV team and serve on a normal basis if you wear a full suit to Christmas Eve Eve service. And I said, you know what? Don't tempt me. I'll do that. I will do anything outside of sin to get people in this church to serve so that they can identify more with Jesus as he served us. Now, the wager went up a little bit more just because I like, I just like a little razzle-dazzle on my bets, okay? Um, the rest of the bet went, if the Cowboys get beat by the Eagles as they play each other, then I have to wear a Philadelphia Eagles pocket square in my suit. Here's the deal. The Cowboys absolutely stomped the Eagles, as this sinful football team that they are. And so, I am wearing this pocket square no longer, uh, just to prove this is a Philadelphia Eagle, okay, is a very dirty type of bird. Uh, it's not the same as the bald eagle that represents our country. Um, but I will, I will put this in my Bible for memories. Um, this is my iPad, I'll put it in my Bible later. Um, I'll put it next to uh, a favorite verse of mine in Proverbs. Proverbs 26, 11, uh, a man returns to his sin just as a dog returns to eat his own vomit. <laughs> fly, eagles, fly. All right. Well, we are going to talk about Christmas tonight. We, uh, we gathered as a family kind of impromptu yesterday, and I've been talking about every single week just the joy of this time of the year and the magic that it brings, and yesterday was no different for our family. It was a sweet time together. Uh, we, we got together, we started playing some Christmas card games, we just kind of chilled on the couch, and I felt like really for the first time this holiday season, things just slowed down. Like, we kind of got to catch our breath for the first time, and it was really, really, really sweet. And as we finished up this Christmas card game that we were playing, uh, my wife, uh, I don't know, ladies, uh, probably not any dudes in here, but ladies, if you have um, 25,000 pictures on your phone um, and 756 videos on your phone, probably what you're going to experience is that phone storage is not big enough. Okay, and so we were trying to offload everything we could to the cloud, which I guess just goes up to, into the sky, and whenever you need it, you can watch that video. It's weird. I don't understand it. I think Terminators are probably going to try to take over through that method one day, but we'll see. So she was offloading her phone, and as she was offloading, we were just going through all these old videos of our family, and it was a sweet time. It was a time that brought so much joy to us because we saw Brooklyn at three years old, and she is now eight years old. We saw Mackenzie at one years old, and she is now six years old. She thinks she's 16. Don't tell her any different. But man, there's a lot of sass in our house these days. But really, looking back at these videos, watching them, I realized there's always been a lot of sass in our house. There's always been a lot of drama. Brooklyn was uh, in a rocking chair and she jumped out of the rocking chair and said, 
you want to learn how to dance? Okay, and just started teaching us how to dance. We had some of these, and we had some spins. We had all kinds of different moves, and there was so much joy wrapped up in that little girl, and it brought so much joy to us. And then there was Mackenzie, who's in a rocking chair at one years old, um, just learned how to hold her head up straight six months ago. It was our second kid. We were kind of preoccupied with the first kid, but she was doing all right. She never fell out of that rocking chair, okay? She was doing really good. And just seeing that little baby, fat-cheeked face, man, brought so much joy. It was joy that was rooted in the past, that we were experiencing in the present, but we also had the hope to look forward to it in the future. And that's really what we're going to look at tonight as we read through Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them, uh, turn them on. Scroll to this verse uh, or turn your page. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Then they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The first thing we see in Christmas tonight, the first thing we see in Luke 2, 8 through 20, is that Jesus' arrival is for all. We see this in verses 8 and 9. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Who is it that the message of the coming of Jesus went to very first? I'll tell you, it wasn't the religious people. It wasn't the uh, religious leaders. It wasn't the politicians. It wasn't the emperor. It wasn't the rich. It wasn't the do-gooders. But it was the shepherds. It was the absolute lowest people in that culture, the absolute lowest people in society. And what does this show us? What does this show us about the good news that would bring great joy? This shows us that there are no insignificant people in the kingdom of heaven. Let me say that again. There are no insignificant people in the kingdom of heaven. I don't know how you view yourself. 
I don't know if you hold yourself high or if you are downtrodden. I don't know if you feel like people take advantage of you or like you take advantage of people. I don't know where you view yourself as it comes to God. I don't know if you think you are sinless or the most sinful. I don't know how much money you make or don't make. I don't know how your family thinks about you or doesn't think about you. But what I do know is that the good news of great joy going to the shepherds first, the lowest in all of society, means that the gospel is accessible to everybody. It does not matter how smart you are. It does not matter how put together your life is. It doesn't matter if you can handle stress well or you just freak out and go into a panic at the first sign of trouble. The good news of great joy, of the coming of Jesus, what we would see as ending up being the gospel is accessible is lowly. What we see in Jesus is that he is not only gentle, but he is lowly, which means he lowers himself below everyone else, and he is humble, which means that we can come to him. And as he lowers himself before everyone else, he would then live a perfect, sinless life, die on the cross to forgive us of our sins, to make us right and holy in the eyes of the Father, who we cannot stand before because we were sinful people. And he gets below all of us, and he lifts us up, and he lifts us up, and he lifts us up to the Father. And he makes a way for us to stand before him. I had a professor in college who I learned this phrase from. There are no insignificant people in the kingdom of heaven. And tonight, as we talk about joy, this man was so joy-filled. His name was Mark Worley. Uh, He passed away last year, and... uh, Man, it just kind of, it's one of those guys, you, didn't, you might not have known him super well, but you knew that you were significant to him. And if you were significant to him, that meant that you were, must be significant to the Father in heaven. Every single year, he would text me on my birthday saying, happy birthday. I'm glad you go to this school. I'm glad I got to know you. I want you to know that you are loved, and I hope today is an awesome day. Now, it would be something really special if it were just me, but it would be something extraordinarily special if it were every student that had ever attended that school, even if it was just for a class, even if they flunked out, even if they just attended once and said, this isn't for me. It was every staff member, every professor, every part of the faculty. This man was so filled with joy that he took joy to other people. And so as we receive this good news of great joy, and as we see that there are no insignificant people in the kingdom of heaven this holiday season, let us take that out. Let us help other people feel that as we surround ourselves with friends or with family. Let us make them feel significant as we have been made, felt significant with too. Okay, you got that? As you have felt significant. It's going to come out eventually. The next thing we see is that these shepherds receive the good news of great joy, the message of Jesus, to represent Jesus as the spotless, sacrificial, perfect lamb in order to be slaughtered. Now, all these people's sin had to be paid for. Sin was paid for by the sacrificial system, which meant sin had to be paid for with blood. It was the job of these shepherds out in the fields to take care of these sheep, to take care of these lambs, and especially as they were younger, to make sure that they stayed spotless. So the sins of the people could be sacrificed for, they could be forgiven, they could be made right in the eyes of God. And so what they would do is they would take 
swaddling cloths, and they would wrap these sheep up tight to make sure that these young sheep wouldn't wander off, wouldn't get blemished, wouldn't break a leg, wouldn't injure themselves. And we see that in verse 12 as we get to it here in a little bit, that Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloths. Now this paints a picture of Jesus as the perfect sacrifice for us in our place, for our sin on the cross. Absolutely beautiful. The story continues in verse 10 and 11. We see that Jesus is the good news of great joy. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, what was the good news about this? The good news about this was that a Savior is born. Christ the Lord. The long-awaited Messiah is here. Christ, meaning the anointed one, the one sent to redeem the world. The Lord, meaning having might, having power, having authority, meaning master, one that we submit ourselves to and fall under his rule and his reign. Now, this was good news that brought great joy, but what joy did this good news actually bring? This is where this gets really applicable for us. This is something that we need to hear and we need to apply directly to our lives because this good news that brought great joy within this great joy was something that lasts. It wasn't just happiness that is here for a moment and man, we are running on a high and we feel elated and man, we are just on top of the world. But as soon as something else happens that isn't as good as this happiness that we're experiencing, man, we crash right back down. Joy is something that the soul can be anchored by. Joy is something that lasts, that persists, even in hard times. I think of this past year. I think of the things I've experienced in my life. I think of the things we have experienced in our family. I think of the things we have experienced as a church, and we have experienced loss. Whether that's a family that's been with us for the last three years, moves to the worst place ever outside of Philadelphia, uh, which is known as Oklahoma, or it's someone passing away. These are things that kind of bring despair to our lives. These are things that, if we don't have joy, can absolutely destroy us. You have health problems that can rock your world if you are not anchored to joy. Think of all that we've been through. But we keep on keeping on because of one thing. We have joy. And when you look at this word joy in the Greek, when you see how it is used throughout the rest of Scripture, for the most part, there are a couple of exceptions. When you see this word joy, it finally clicks. Because you see that this word joy is always used when it talks about a relation to salvation. So now we have joy that anchors our soul in the good times, in the bad times, in the horrible times, and we keep pushing through, we keep holding on, we keep being all right. Our friends around us keep thinking, man, they should be taking this harder. Why? Because our joy is directly related to our salvation. 
And our salvation is not something that can ever be taken away from us. And so it doesn't matter if hell itself comes against us. There is nothing that can take away the joy that we have found in Jesus. Because we are joyful because we have been saved. So if there is not joy present in our life, then that probably means that our focus is just shifted in the wrong direction. It's probably not focused on the salvation that's going to save us in eternity. It's going to save us today. It's going to save us tomorrow. It saved us in the past so that we could spend an eternity with God the Father through the work of God the Son on the cross. It continues to save. It's something that we are rooted in. And so if it is not in our lives, then our focus must not be on that joy. It must not be on that salvation. It must not be on Jesus. It must just be on our problems. And so if there's no joy in our lives, then we need to shift our focus from the problems that we are experiencing and really worshiping if we are making them bigger than the God that actually saved us. We need to put our focus back on Jesus. There's another option. And this is a scary option. Because this option means that we have actually fooled ourselves into thinking that we are saved from our sin, that we have put our trust in Jesus. But if there's no joy in our lives, if we're tossed and thrown by the wind, then we haven't actually experienced salvation. If there's no Jesus in our life to focus on that can take our minds, can take our pain away from that joy, and can bring us back into good, perfect relationship with him. This is dangerous. And I pray for this church, for our community, that we wouldn't be fooled. We wouldn't think that we are Christians because of our parents' faith. We wouldn't think we are Christians because of our knowledge of the Bible, but that we would see we are Christians because we have been saved by grace through faith. That we have repented, that we have believed. So what is it that I need to experience joy? I think a lot of us would say, or a lot of us might know people that would say, if we're being honest, we'd probably say this ourselves, the situation I'm in, I do not have joy. So what is it that I need? I need a new situation. I need something to take me out of this. But really, if the problem is our lack of joy that is in here, any situation that we find ourselves in, there's going to be a lack of joy because now we find ourselves in that situation. Wherever you go, there you are. And if you're the problem, then it's going to be continuing to be the problem. We don't need a new situation. Life has probably presented you situation after situation after situation, and it's been the same story. What we need is a new heart. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the focus shift. This is all of our attention right back on to Jesus. So let us put our attention there. Jesus, give me a new heart. The old has gone, the new has come. I want the new, and I want it through you, because you are the only way. Let's look at why. Why would this good news bring great joy? We see this in verses 13 through 14. We have joy because Jesus made peace. Say that again. We have joy because Jesus made peace. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. As we have gone over in the last three weeks, this being the fourth of Advent, we have seen that Jesus, in his first coming, 
didn't put an end to war. It says that he brought peace, but there is still war all around us. We see it anytime we turn on the news. We see it anytime that we have a, a crossword with a friend or a family member. We see that war is very much still all around us. There are battles being fought all the time everywhere we look. Jesus didn't put a war, an end to war between man and man. That's at his second coming. But in his first coming, what Jesus did was he put an end to the war between man and God. And because you know I like to draw things, because you know I like graphs, because you know I like pictures, because uh, picture books are the best books, let me just explain this through a picture here. What we have here are three circles. We have God's design. And that's Genesis 1. Everything was perfect in the garden. And then Genesis 3, sin enters into the picture. What does sin bring? Sin brings brokenness. Brokenness is what we experience in our lives. B.C., before Christ, enters into our picture. And what brokenness causes us to do is go every which way we can to try to find true life, to try to discover salvation, to try to figure out a way to put ourselves back together, to try to just figure out a way that we can feel better. But what brokenness needs is repentance and belief in Jesus, that God's one and only Son came down to earth laid in a manger, that he was the spotless lamb, that he was sinless, that he took the cross for our sin. He took the punishment that we deserved. He lived a life that we can never live. And now once we put our faith in him, once we repent of our sin, God, I am sorry for the sin that is in my life. I believe in the work of Jesus to save me from the consequence of that sin, which is eternal separation from you. And I believe what he did will save me. Boom. Then we have the gospel. And once we have the gospel, then we start to experience recovery. Then we start to pursue God's design. And that is the full cleansing. That is, we were dirty, but now we are clean. But there will be times when we are following God's design and we will still sin. And just as Jesus told Peter before he died, Peter, you don't need a full shower. You just need me to wash your feet. We need our feet to be washed because once we sin, we go back to brokenness. We start to go all our own ways. But now we have been saved. We need to repent because we believe. We find ourselves at the feet of the gospel, the life, the perfect work, the resurrection of Jesus for our sin, victory over our sin, victory over our death, and victory over the enemy. And we live out of that. And then we start to recover. We are forgiven and we start to pursue God again. And hopefully you stay there in God's design. But guess what? If you don't, the gospel will still save you over and over and over. Your salvation is not going anywhere. You can't out the gift of salvation that has been given to you. So we continue to fall on our knees at the feet of Jesus. How about this peace? Who did he make peace for? It says right there, with whom he is well pleased. Then who is he well pleased with? Those who have made him Lord. Those who submit themselves to him by repentance and belief on Jesus to save them. Okay? So what do we do? How do we take that? How do we look at that and apply it to our lives? Really all we have to do here is look at these shepherds. 
What is it that we do in response? How are we to be the church and display the kingdom? I'll read the next five verses as we close out. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. What do we do as we leave this place tonight? What do we do over the remainder of the holiday season to put this scripture into our lives, to apply it and live out of it? We hear the message of the greatest gift ever given, verses 18 through 14. We come and see the greatest gift ever given, verses 15 and 16, and then we go and we tell of the greatest gift ever given, verses 17 through 20. That's a task. That's a job. You have heard it. You have come. You have seen it. Experience it. The wonder of it. Worship within it. But don't let it just stay there. Go and tell somebody about it. Let's pray.